You've heard the story. How well do you know the author? The one behind the story, who knows you and calls you by name. How do you learn about this one who is shrouded in mystery? Each name of God in scripture provides important brush strokes, each with its distinctive hues and lines that ultimately combine to provide a compelling and beautiful picture of the one true God. But be prepared. It will totally change what you think about God, and it will change your life. everybody welcome glad you're here if you're if you're new if you're a guest we're especially glad you're here welcome to mountain christian church um i am happy i also want to uh wish you a happy fourth of july weekend i hope that everybody did i, I love fourth of july i hope you had fun with friends and family and food and fireworks doing what what someone once said celebrating the independence of our nation by blowing up a small part of it that's that's kind of what we do right um it's a special time for those of us who live in this country, to just appreciate some of the blessings we have, including the freedom to gather here today freely in God's name. So we're thankful for that. And um, yeah, and uh, we, greet, we greet everyone at all three campuses, over at Edgewood, over at Bel Air, where I'm usually at on Sundays. Miss you guys, but glad to be here today as we move further in our AKA God series, talking about the names of God. I was thinking about names this week, and I found some unfortunate and humorous church names so I thought I would share some of those with you. Uh, here's one, House of God Incorporated, which I just find odd. You know, pres- uh, pastor and CEO, E. Thornton. Uh, here's one, the Little Ruth Church of Jesus Christ of the Old Regular Baptist Faith and Order. <laughs> I can just imagine this conversation. Uh, honey, uh, don't the Johnsons go to the Little Ruth Church of Christ, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of the Old Regular Faith and Baptist Order? I think, I think that's where our neighbors, the Johnsons, go, right? Oh, what's that? Oh, no. I'm sorry. The Johnsons actually go to the Little Ruth Church of Jesus Christ of the New Regular Baptist Faith and Order, which is, of course, a totally different church. Uh, here's a good one. The, uh, the First Haitian Free Methodist Church. So what does this mean? Is it the first ever Methodist church that guarantees no Haitians? Like, it should be a hyphen Haitian free? Because that's awful. That's discriminatory and terrible. Or is it that the first Haitian to arrive gets in free to this Methodist church? Which still sounds really shady. Like, why are they charging admission? So, uh, here's another one. The boring United Methodist Church. Seven miles. You got to go seven miles, which I'm, I'm not going those seven miles. It doesn't sound worth it. I'll pass. Here's another one. Little Hope Baptist Church. Again, I, I think I'll pass. Here, this one's great. The Flippin' Church of God. Which is it's down the street from the Dadgum Christian Church and the Stinking Church of Christ. This is, this is actually flipping as a town in Arkansas. And speaking of being from down south, here's another one. I love this one. Ready? Ain't Peter's Church. <laughs> so, so if it ain't Peter's Church, uh, whose church is it, right? So here we have the Harvey Park Christian Church where they are disciples of Chris. So this is Chris's church. And then here's one. This may be the most ridiculous one of all. Okay, ready? This one is called Mountain Christian Church. It says elevation nine feet above sea level. So I just, that, that one continues to make me laugh. I'm going to be out in the Denver area uh, in a couple weeks, and I guarantee you I will not see the seaside 
Christian Church or the Bayview Christian Church. So it makes me laugh that we are Mountain Christian Church. But, you know, names matter. What we call our community, how we label ourselves matters. And what we call God, the names we use to talk about our God, they matter. And there's no way, there's no way you can take the eternal creator God, all-powerful God, and put him in a little word, in a little name. So what's really cool, one of the cool things about the Bible is it gives us a lot of different names for God, and we can kind of put them together to sort of be, to begin to understand who God really is. And that's what we've been doing together. So just to quickly go back through some of what we've seen, we, we saw, in the first week, we saw Yahweh, right, the kind of the personal name for God that he, he gives to himself, uh, for himself to Moses. This is the name that means I am. I was, I am, I always will be, I'm the great I am. Then we looked at God, our loving Father. And whatever your human, earthly experience of a father has been, we, we talked about how we, we all have this good and loving Father who loves us with a tough and a tender love. And we saw Yahweh Yira or Jehovah Jireh, which means God the provider, who gives us not always what we want, but always what we need, right, right on time. And then we, last week we looked at El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God Almighty who is enough, who is all we need. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Psalm 9, 9-10 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So around here, we don't want to just know about God. We want to know God, have a real relationship with the real God in our everyday lives. We want him to be our stronghold. And so here we are today looking uh, at a fifth name for God. And the name today is El Ra'i. You could say it El Roy. It kind of looks like in English, but the better pronunciation is Ra'i. So turn to your neighbor and say El Ra'i. Here's what it looks like in Hebrew. So uh, Hebrew goes right to left. So that little one that sort of looks like a backwards uh, lowercase r, it is kind of an r sound. That's a, a resh or a resh. And it, you can maybe kind of see how it, goes. it says El Ra'i. That means the God who sees. So this, this name comes from Genesis chapter 16. And we've been following for a few weeks in this story of Abram, Abram and Sarai, or a, later Abraham and Sarah. And they were, just this, they were this old elderly couple that God called in a special way, he said he called him to leave everything familiar and to just up and go. And he said, I'll show you where you're going on the way. And they went in faith. And he promised them, uh, he promised that they would have a son and that, that, this, that this would grow into a great family and even into a whole people, a whole nation that would number like the stars and that would be a blessing to the whole world. Okay, and so, so up they went, right? They followed this call. And, but now a lot of time has passed and they've been through some hard stuff. And, you know, Sarah, she was still not pregnant. And they were starting to wonder whether or not this God that they'd chosen to follow either would or could follow through on his promises. And so one day, Sarah, she got impatient. And she, she, she took matters into her own hands. She said, you know what, God, whatever the, the timer that she had placed on God coming through for his prom, for, on his promise, it had run out in her mind, and she said, plan B. And so in Genesis 16, we pick up that story, and she, she calls Abe over. She says, come here. Here's what we're going to do. You know that young Egyptian slave girl of ours, Hagar? You're going to sleep with her and get her pregnant so we can have a son because God needs a little help. And, uh, you know, so she, she lays out this plan to Abram. And, it, and so how does he respond, right? We noted last week when God called and gave him this assignment, he responded so quickly. We, we, we always talk about his faith. It's Genesis 12:4. So Abram went. He immediately obeyed. And it's interesting to me that... Uh, it's kind of funny 
It's kind of sad, it's kind of ironic that when he gets some new marching orders from Sarah, uh, he, also, he responds just as quickly, uh, go sleep with Hagar. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, there's no, honey, are you sure this is a good idea? 16.3 says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, and off he went. So uh, I just wonder, I do wonder if she was like, good grief, I have to hound him for a week to get him to cut the grass, wash the dishes. But I give him this assignment, and there is no argument, right? So, but actually, this was not an uncommon practice at the time. In the ancient Near East, uh, men, when, a, when a woman could not get pregnant, uh, they would often do this. They would have the husband sleep with a slave or a servant girl so that they could produce uh, a male heir that would then have all the full rights of a son. So you see what they're doing. They're abandoning the plan of God. They're resorting back to the ways of everyone else. They're just doing what everybody else is doing and, and taking matters into their own hands in contrast to, in opposition to, the clear instructions of God. So in, in, in verse 4, we, we hear this. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And so, shockingly, right, this plan is backfiring. It's blowing up in their face. Everybody's mad at everybody. They're placing blame. And Abraham, uh, he fails as a leader here. He, he chooses the path of passivity, right? He says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled. So Abram is the one who, he's, he got this poor girl in this mess, right? She had no choice in the matter. She's a slave. And now she's pregnant and scared and under attack, and he does nothing about it. And now she has no choice but to run away. She runs into the harsh desert wilderness where she will surely, along with her baby inside her, she will surely suffer, suffer and die. And so then this amazing thing happens. It says the angel of the Lord, and that, that just Old Testament speak for God himself, his messenger, his voice. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. God says, go back, I'm going to take care of you. And God makes, actually makes this a promise to Hagar. He, he promises her that she will have a son as well and that he will grow into uh, someone who will have many descendants, also too numerous to count. And she gave, listen to this, verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord, Yahweh, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. There it is, El-Rai. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why, we dwell, uh, that is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Rai. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar couldn't believe it. She is amazed, okay? Here she is. She's Egyptian. She's not a part of this family that has received this promise, right? She's a slave, She's an outsider, a nobody. Now she's a victim, and she's off the grid. She's abandoned by everyone, and then God sees her, and he finds her, and he hears her, and he reveals himself to her, and he comes to her aid. And it is, is the implications of this part of our God that we're going to look at today. When it comes to seeing, uh, we human beings are kind of all over the map, like right with our eyesight. So I want to I tell you something today. I'm sort of proud of this. I don't think in my whole life I've ever eaten an entire carrot. I think they're gross. 
yet I still have pretty good eyesight, and I'm really thankful for that. But some people, some people have amazing, some people have great eyesight. I heard a story the other day about Michael Jordan. Okay, you guys know Michael Jordan, considered by many the greatest basketball player of all time, right? So broadcaster Al Michaels was telling this story about Michael Jordan. He said some, several guys were in this, um, in this room one time, and there was a, like a 27-inch TV 50 feet away across the room, right? And they were looking, uh, Sports Center was on, they're looking for the baseball scores, okay? And uh, this is back in the 90s. And, and um, you know, they're, they're, they see across the room it says, like, Cubs versus somebody, and so they get up to go walk across the room to see more clearly, and Michael Jordan is sitting there just leaning back in his chair, and he's reading not only the, the, the teams that are there in the score, but the, he's reading every word off the ticker that's going across the bottom of the screen. He said, yeah, Sam, Sammy Sosa was two for, two for four, hit, a home, hit another home run. You know, and, and these guys just look at each other, and, and, and Al Michael says, Michael Jordan doesn't see in 3D. He sees in 4D. To, to be able to see what he's seeing from 50 feet away, it's crazy. So not only is this guy, he's 6'6", he's got huge hands, he jumps out of the gym, he's the most competitive person ever, oh, and also he's blessed with superhuman sight. You know, it's just, it just doesn't seem fair. And, and Al Michaels says, can you imagine what the rim must look like to him from 15 feet away as compared to what it looks like for everybody else? And, you know, now I'm thinking, maybe if I was just eating those carrots, you know, my <laughs> basketball career could have gone a little further. Now, others, other folks don't see as well. I had a friend named Ben in college, and he had those Coke bottle, you know, thick glasses. He really could not see more than a couple feet in front of him. He is, was legally blind, uh, and yet he cho- his chosen mode of transportation on our busy urban campus was bicycle, okay? And there were many, multiple times when Ben got in accidents, traffic accidents, with him, his bike, and a car, and, uh, but the amazing thing was, Ben was always fine. Partly because he was a big guy, I guess he was a pretty tough guy, but partly because the cars were always parked and empty. And he just <laughs> ran right into them. I mean, many times. It, another thing that, that Ben would do, we had, he was, a, like a, he liked, he was a friendly guy, loved to be a greeter at our campus ministry, and we always used name tags. And Ben had to get about this far from the name tag to read it, so he would just come right up in your chest. And that, it didn't bother me, but a lot of the girls were really uncomfortable <laughs> with that. So we had to coach him, like, Ben, you, you cannot do that, man. And uh, you just got to let him tell you their name, okay? And he's a fantastic guy, but, man, blind as a bat. So sometimes... We want, we, want, we want God to be like that, or we think he is. You know, sometimes we're like, hey, with God, sometimes we're like, hey, daddy, look, daddy, look, daddy, 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 look, like my girls are with me, right? But then other times, those sweet little kids, even at early ages, they, they begin to try to hide things, right? That sin nature starts to emerge. Sometimes they even say it, don't look. Dallas Willard writes about a two-and-a-half-year-old girl in the backyard who one day discovered the secret to making mud, which she called warm chocolate. Her grandmother had been reading and was facing away from the action, but after cleaning up what was to her a mess, she told little Larissa not to make any more chocolate, and she turned her chair around so that she could see her. The little girl soon resumed her warm chocolate routine with one request posed as sweetly as a -a two-and-a-half-year-old girl can make it. Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Now, Nana, uh, being a little codependent, of course, agreed. Larissa continued to manufacture warm chocolate three times, she said, as she continued her work. Don't look at me, Nana, okay? And then this is what Willard writes. 
Thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong. Anytime we choose to do wrong or to withhold doing right, we choose hiddenness as well. It may be that out of all the prayers that are ever spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one that we least acknowledge making is simply this, don't look at me, God. It was the very first prayer spoken after the fall. God came to walk in the garden to be with the man and the woman, and he called, where are you? I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. Don't look at me, God. Sometimes when we choose to sin, that's the prayer that's truly in our hearts. We don't say it out loud. We probably don't admit it even to ourselves, but it's the choice that our heart makes. Don't look at me, God. And we see the same behavior all throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve did that. Even, even before they said, don't look at us, God, they, they fashioned some fig leaf undies and they hid in the bushes, hoping that God wouldn't find them. In Joshua chapter 7, he's leading the army of God's people, uh, and the, the first battle is the city of Jericho, right? And, and God says, You're gonna I'm going to give you this city. Just walk around it and sing and play some instruments, and the, and the walls will fall down. And this all happens, and they, and, and they take the city. And God says, One thing, don't take any of the valuables that you find in the houses. The spoils of the first battle are for God. They're for me. They're like a tithe. Jericho was to be the first fruits, but there's, and, and there will be plenty more victories and plenty more spoils to come. But one soldier he couldn't resist, and he took something, and he hid it under his robe, and then he went and buried it in his tent. King David, 2 Samuel 12, he messes up big time, right? He lusts over this woman, and then he, he takes her for his own, and he, he, he's, she's another man's wife, and he has that man killed, and he covers it up. And the whole thing is as sleazy of a conspiracy as you'll find on any modern TV show. And then there's Jonah, this prophet of God who receives an assignment to go speak the love and truth of God, and he, what does he do? He runs and finds the first boat that's going the exact opposite direction, and he gets on it. Over in the New Testament, there's this couple called Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, part of the early church. They sold a piece of property with the intention of giving the proceeds to God, to the work of the church. And all they did, they, they just took a little bit off the top, and then they went and told church leaders that they were given the whole amount. And so... It's not a new story. This is what we do. We deceive ourselves that we can slip something by God. Maybe he's kind of like my friend Ben. You know, he's, he's got a heart of gold, but you can kind of slip something by him. He doesn't see that well. Maybe, he is, uh, maybe he's so busy running the whole universe that we can kind of blend into the background. You know, we can kind of slip through the cracks and go unnoticed. Or maybe, maybe if we behave ourselves most of the time, and we're really good most of the time, then we can sort of make this arrangement with God where some of the time we can just do what we want to do, and he'll look away, right? We can, uh, we can get some of that privacy that we want. But, you know, boys will be boys, you know, whatever, no, no big deal. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? So we come up with things like Snapchat. You guys know what Snapchat is? It's a social media thing where... Um, you can send photos or text messages, and they disappear after a maximum of 10 seconds. They del they're deleted. And uh, I think this Snapchat originated, I think, from, from, as a result of all the people that have posted things online or texted things to other people that they later, like, very much regretted. Okay? And so we're like, okay, let's, let's game the system, right? Let's, let's set it up so the files are always deleted, so it's like it never happened. What, what happens in Snapchat stays in Snapchat, right? 
We can sext each other all we want, and it'll be just like it never happened. Look at us. Aren't we so clever? But the great error in that way of thinking and living is that it either forgets or ignores the important part of the identity of God that we're looking at today, and he is El Ra'i. He sees and he knows everything. He sees better than Michael Jordan. You ever play with, uh, with Google Earth or Google Maps or, you know, the street, Google Street View? This stuff to, is amazing to me. I can go on my laptop and I can, like, put in my address and I can look at my house and be like, oh, I left my rake outside. It's amazing. And, I, and I, when I do that stuff, I sometimes think, if I can do this, and I don't know anything about this stuff, then what, you know, what can the CIA do? What can the NSA do, right? What do they see? And then I think... If, if it's just a couple little satellites and some computers, if they can see what they can see, what, what can God see? What can the almighty creator God see? He sees it all. He sees it all. And so the question is, how does that make you feel? Because I think if we're honest, uh, sometimes that sounds like kind of bad news. You know, if the holy and all-knowing God is watching me, that, that can, and sometimes maybe, or maybe it should, make me somewhere between really nervous and downright terrified. So there's, there's two parts of this message today about El Ra'i, and the first part is this. God is watching, so be careful how you live. Ephesians 5 says this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look back at those stories that I mentioned. Adam and Eve, they tried to hide from God, and he is like, seriously? You know, there they are with their fig leaves and the bushes. They look like this kid trying to play hide and seek. That's what they look like. <laughs> right? And, you know, when my daughter does that, it's, it's cute and funny, but when we try to hide from God, it's not. God is like, hey, uh, guys, I see you. I made the whole place. I made you. I see you, and we've got to deal with this situation. You know, Joshua, that soldier who tried to pull one over on God, keep a part of the treasure for himself, yeah, God saw that too. To me, that guy was like this rooster trying to cleverly disguise himself as a flamingo. Look at this. <laughs> Nothing to see here, just us flamingos, you know. Move along, everybody. And God is like, seriously? Seriously? He didn't like being stolen from, you know, and this one guy's disobedience messed up things for the whole group. David, King David, is another rooster on stilts. Nothing to see here, and, and God sent word through his prophet Nathan. He said, hey, Dave, you may have pulled off the perfect crime. You may have fooled everybody in the world, but you know what? I made the world. I see everything, and I'm calling you out, and you need to repent and return to me. Jonah, God sent a, sent a storm a storm on the sea, a storm in his heart, and he just knew. I, even in the belly of a fish, I can't hide from God. He had to face the music. Ananias and Sapphira. And by the way, if you're still one of those people that sort of thinks there's this mean, harsh, Old Testament God, and then there's this nice, sweet, New Testament God that's all sunshine and lollipops, well, that's not true. It's the same God. And this story is a good example of that. So here comes Ananias with his, with his lie. And the Holy Spirit reveals to the apostles his deceit, and they say, you didn't lie to us, but to God. And Ananias falls down dead right then and there. And then Sapphira comes in three hours later, and she tells the same lie. And Peter said, look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out too. 
and boom, she falls down dead too. You know, they tried to hide their sin from God, and that turned out to be a very bad plan. So hear me today. If you are a kid at school and you're cheating, and your teachers are clueless, they don't know, you're getting away with it, guess what? You're not getting away with it. There is an authority much higher than your teachers who sees and knows everything you're doing and you need to stop. If you're a husband or a wife who's stepping out outside of your marriage vows in, in a physical or an emotional way with another person and you're getting away with it, guess what? You're not getting away with it. And you're headed for trouble. If you're someone who likes to engage in gossip and you think, well, I can talk about these certain people in these certain ways with these other certain people in these certain situations as long as other certain people are not there, guess what? You're wrong. God hears just as well as he sees. And you are hurting those people and you are hurting yourself and you are hurting the community. If you're someone who, who just cusses a blue streak and you use the name of God like a punchline, you know, it's, it, to get attention or to get a laugh, you know, at work or wherever, you're, you're the guy on the golf course who just paints it blue, right? And uh, until you get paired up with the preacher and then you're like, oh, golly gee willikers, I have sliced the gosh darn ball once again into these silly old woods. You know, I mean, who do you think you're fooling? Not God. Show me a teenager who brags to his friends that he has no curfew and his parents let him do whatever he wants. And I'll show you a kid headed for trouble. Show me an executive who has no accountability to a board, who can play fast and loose with the numbers, and I'll show you an organization and a career headed for trouble. Show me a disciple of Jesus who says, yeah, I follow Jesus, except there's a certain, there's this couple parts that I just don't agree with. I just don't, I choose, I just silently, quietly choose to ignore those parts or to disobey those parts. And I say to you, El Ra'i, God sees. Whatever you think you're getting away with, you're not getting away with anything. God sees us and he knows us and, and he, he catches us red-handed in all of our sins. And so some of you maybe at this point are like, oh boy, here we go again, guilt, guilt trip time, right? Stick with me. Because I know that many of, us, many of us know well this part of the story, the sin and guilt part, the good God, God is good and I'm a filthy, filthy sinner, right? You have had guilt and shame heaped on you through, uh, sadly, often through your experiences of church, and that's just, that's just been drilled into you so deeply. You know, you feel like, uh, you, you live like a person of interest. You know what a person of interest is? It's this legal term by, used by law enforcement identifying someone involved in a criminal investigation who's not been arrested or formally accused yet. You live, you live your life like you're a person of interest for God, or even maybe just like a suspect. You're a straight-up suspect. That is, the, that is the main thrust of God's attitude toward you. You feel like it's a suspicion. He's suspicious of you, and you're being watched by the man upstairs. He's waiting to catch you and punish you. And let me just tell you, that is an awful way to live. And that is not how God wants us to live. You know, filthy sinner is not the primary part of your identity. And so many of us have, have, bought, have been taught that God is all about rules, 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 rules. But I, I say to you today that no, there's more to the story. Yes, our loving Father has rules and boundaries and guidelines. What loving Father doesn't? Yes, our sins have consequences, and often very tragic ones. Yes, God's forgiveness is always available. But listen, if we treat our relationship with God like this mechanical, legal 
thing where we just like, okay, I sin, okay, then I confess, and then I get that forgiveness, which gives me the green light to go sin some more, and I just repeat this cycle. And I'm just telling you that that is, we have, if you're doing that, that is religion, and you have bought into the lie that God is primarily concerned with rules. But in Romans 6, Paul talks about, he says, so what? Are we going to keep on sinning more so we can get more and more forgiveness? That, no, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense because it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. If you want to have a real relationship between the real you and the real God, then you've got to stop acting like what you do does not matter because it does. It's not that you earn God's love with good behavior. His love is already freely given. It's not even about the fact that you, you make them mad and tick them off when you mess up. It's about the fact that you are breaking God's heart, you and I. We have some parents around here of some prodigal kids, kids who have uh, kind of taken and uh, lied and, and rebelled and betrayed and run away. And if you talk to one of those parents, they will tell you, yeah, anger is a part of it. Frustration is a part of it, okay? But, the, but they will tell you also that the overwhelming majority of the things that they feel are just sadness and grief. They're, they're not upset because their kids have broken some rules. They're upset because their kids have broken their hearts and they have ruptured that relationship that they once had. So yeah, God is watching and we need to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. And, and yeah, morality matters. Ethical living matters because it is the proof in the pudding. It is the walk behind the talk that shows to God and to the watching world that we actually believe the stuff we say we believe. Our choices matter for all kinds of reasons, one of which is this. El Ra'i is watching, so be careful how you live. Okay, and now that we've said that, here is the second part of the message that is at least, at least as important as that one, and that's this. God is watching, so relax. Relax a little bit. This, here, here comes the part where we learn why. What sounds like bad news God is watching. He sees everything you do is actually very, very good news. <clears throat> because God is not just watching you to hold you accountable. God is watching out for you. You know, some of you need to hear this today. God sees the good stuff too. He sees the good stuff too. In John chapter 1, there's this really cool little story of the calling of Nathaniel to be one of uh, Jesus' disciples. And Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, Hey, we found the Messiah the one that Moses and the prophets and the whole story was pointing toward, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And this, this is that, really, that thing that's always funny to me when Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Seriously? Can anything good come from Nazareth? But he, but, but he goes and checks it out. And sure enough, this is John chapter 1, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel said. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see even greater things than that. So we don't know what Nathanael's doing under the fig tree. He was all, he was all by himself. What, what's clear is he was doing some quiet, secret, good deed. Maybe he was praying. 
Maybe he was praying for the coming of the Messiah. Maybe he was writing an encouraging note to a sick friend. Maybe he was helping an elderly farmer fix a tool. We don't know, but here's what we know. Whatever he was doing, it was good, and God saw him, and he took note. Listen, some, some, some of you guys do good deeds all the time and, and never get any credit. Some of you work your tail off and make your boss look great every day. Some of you park, when you come to worship, whatever campus you're at, some of you park far away so that guests can get the good parking spaces. Some of you, you care, you care for an autistic child every day or you, you go to a nursing home and care for an elderly relative or friend. Some of you, you give money quietly, secretly to an important cause. You know, many of you are, are hanging in there in a friendship or a marriage that would be so much easier to just walk away from. Maybe you need to know today this. God sees. He knows and he says, one day I'm going to reward you for that. Not even a cup of cold water given in my name goes unnoticed. Jesus said, when you pray, don't, don't pray standing in the street corner so that people will see you praying. He said, go to the closet, close the door, pray to your Father in secret, and the Father who sees and hears your prayers in secret will one day reward you openly. He says, when you give money, don't make a big show of it so people will say, oh wow, he's so generous, she's so generous. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give, give quietly and in secret, and the Father who sees and hears you in secret will one day reward you openly. When you fast, this is an ancient Christian practice that we too often ignore, where you go without food for a little while to help you get closer to God. He says, don't make a show of it like the Pharisees and the hypocrites who whiten their faces and try to look emaciated so people will say, oh, they must be fasting. He says, wash your face comb your hair, go about your day, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will one day reward you openly. It is good news that God is watching over all those little uh, seemingly unappreciated gifts of just acts of just kindness and love. God sees that stuff. It's also good news that God sees us when we're in trouble. Remember, this is our loving Father. He is crazy about you. You know what? You are a person of interest to God, but not in the way, not in the, the way we use it in, in legal terms. God, you, God is so incredibly interested in you. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. God has your picture in his wallet and on his fridge and at the, on his desk in his office. You. Yeah, you. John, uh, Job 36.7 says, He does not take his eyes off the righteous. Psalm 34:15 says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Anybody ever use a baby monitor? Okay, you put this one thing in the room with the baby and another thing wherever whatever room you need to be in and why do parents do that? Do do they do that so that they can catch that kid breaking rules? Oh, there he, he pooped his pants again. Let's get him. Now, this is crazy, right? Why do we use those? So that we can be attentive to their cry. So that when that baby needs us, we can go running to comfort, feed, sustain, and hold that baby close. In Exodus 3 and the Moses story, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them, to bring them up, take them to a good, better land. God sees our suffering. He promises to rescue and deliver us. You know who knew that in a powerful way was Hagar. 
she, you remember, she was overlooked. She was taken advantage of. She was mistreated and then abandoned. She was a, sl- a pregnant slave girl. And you know, her, her whole life, once the promised child Isaac was born, she became, they, they became a side story. Right? Nobody's interested in that. Except God, who found her, who saw her, heard her, cared for her, saved her, gave her a future. You know why? Because he loved her. Because God loves everybody. God is love. And that is why, that is why El Ra'i, God, Yahweh sees me, that's why it's great news. Because God is love. Because of El Ra'i, we can relax a little bit. We can have some peace in this life. Because of El Ra'i, we can turn the other cheek and endure all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can step aside from the rat race and just treat each other with some kindness and respect because he's got it under control. We can have some freedom to just be ourselves and quit pretending all the time. Because of El Ra'i, we can live out the words of 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So I want to confess to you all today that uh, sometimes really random songs pop into my head. It happens a lot first thing in the morning. And the other day, a really embarrassing one came into my head, From a Distance by Bette Midler, 1990. No idea why. So you know the one, the refrain says, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance, right? And I just want to say to you guys today that that song is dumb. <laughs> this is a dumb song, right? Okay, it, 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 it sounds nice, but it's really just a bunch of vacuous sentimentality dis, disguised as something deeper. Oprah would love it. <laughs> you know, what good does it do me to know that from a distance, God can see that the ocean is blue and the snow is white, and from a distance, we look like friends and you can't tell there's any wars. Like, great, thanks. It's not helpful. That's not El Ra'i. But far be it from me to tell you about a, a lousy song and put it in your head, maybe, and, and then not give you a good one to take its place. So you want to know a great song? Here's a great song. His Eye is on the Sparrow. It's a great gospel hymn from 1905. It's been performed by, by many artists. I, I recommend Lauren Hill's version and uh, Marvin Gaye's version. And, you know, I wish you could hear my granddaddy, Burt McDade's version. That was his favorite song. Uh, 20 years later, I can still hear him singing it in uh, this deep voice in my little home church. And it's a, it's a song based on these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I have a friend that found this message to be so important to remember every day of his life that he tattooed a sparrow on his shoulder so he'd never forget. Here's some of the lyrics. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears, though by the path he leadeth but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, 
and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him from care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. This is, this is a song not only about God's perfect vision, but about his nearness, his love, and his personal and intimate interest in each one of us. Not a sparrow falls, not a squirrel gets hit by a car. Not a sin is committed, not a good deed gets done. Not a promise gets made or kept or broken outside of the perfect sight of our loving God, El Ra'i. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And maybe this is a perfect thought today to lead us into a time of communion. And if the, the servers would, would take your places. You know, this is a time when we join with the church of Jesus all throughout the ages and all throughout the world, and we do a couple things. One thing we do right now is we remember. Through the, the bread and the cup, we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is the one. We remember what God has done in Jesus to save us from slavery to those sins that we try to hide from God. So we remember now, and also we relate we relate to one another around his table, and we relate to God directly because he's here, and he sees. El Ra'i is here, and we get to respond now and just say, God, I'm done with my silly game of hide-and-seek. Would you find me here now and heal me of my brokenness? Jesus, the light of the world, exposes everything that has been stuck in the darkness, and he finds us with his great grace. We can be found by Christ today, and that is, that is profoundly good news. Let's pray. God, would you, in these moments, would you see us? Would you find us and search us and know us? And God, would you heal us and restore us? Save us and empower us to live life as you intended us to live it. Shape us, O oh God, into the people you created us to be and begin that process even now as we remember our King. We pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of El Ra'i, the God who sees. Amen.